Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. And I'm Andy Brassel. On this edition, after an uninspiring campaign of two halves, will the big boys of European football be back in town next season to give Man City a run for their money? Or is the power shift here to stay? We'll hear the arguments for and against. Also, we did see some surprising title challenges in the Continental Leagues. Can the upstarts keep being a thorn in the side of the big teams next season? And will we see a repeat of last season's Italian job in European Cup finals? Or will Serie A clubs actually win a continental title next time around? Now, as you've probably gathered... Today will be a different type of On the Continent. We're welcoming three of our panellists onto the show. It is the end of the season, after all, so we'll have Miguel Delaney, Jonathan Johnson and Nicky Bandini to look at some of the biggest trends of the season that was in European football. And I suppose, Andy, we can't avoid um, mentioning the World Cup because it had an impact, didn't it, on European football, on the season of European football? Yeah, it had a massive impact, Dotton. And um, for for better and for for worse, I suppose, in in, in terms of the actual football, I think um, we did see that sort of level of inconsistency uh, in in the the second half of the season from a, a lot of teams. 
is that he just didn't have any more to give. I think there was so much given at the, the World Cup. Conversely, the World Cup itself was the best one in a while, I thought. And, you know, clearly there are bigger considerations than just sport to be taken from the World Cup and, and where it was staged. But it, what always concerned me kind of happened. The fact that um, while people had um, big human rights issues with, with Qatar, once the actual football started, there was always going to be a sense of that being overshadowed by possibly the best World Cup we'd seen in a really long time because, quite frankly, all, all the players weren't completely knackered after playing 60 games at the top level. Look, that's quite a conundrum because we all want to see a great World Cup, you know, in a decent location, it has to be said, but nevertheless, we all want to see a great World Cup. If it's at the cost of a less great season domestically or in the European leagues, is it worth it? Gentlemen, obviously the big story of the week is Man City winning the Champions League. But now after all the celebrations and the ticker tape, uh, ticker tape parade or whatever it might be, a question for you. Are Man City somewhat fortunate? Because if you think about it, they've won the Champions League in a year where the opposition were perhaps not up to where they would otherwise have been. I'm not sure I'd use the word fortuitous, although you're right. The fact that I think the competition and the overall standards has not been brilliant. I think, um, as we said before, the the, the World Cup has, has definitely affected the way that the season has gone. I think there's really a particular skill in... I guess playing it straight while everyone else is 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 having a wobble. I mean, I think it's it's a difficult sell to say that Manchester City were fortunate in um a season in which they produced a performance like they did, particularly in the, the second leg of the semi final against Real Madrid. You know, their major competitor, um, whether historically or or this season, and a Real Madrid who had up until that point looked more solid in the knockout round than anyone else. And City took them apart with just an extraordinary performance. And a, a performance you could argue that maybe, um, given their backing and given the quality in their squad, they maybe should have pr- produced more of over the, the, the last couple of years. But I think that Guardiola and the players, and particularly, particularly Guardiola actually, keeping their nerve enabled them to just get there when the, the, the field wasn't exactly stacked this year. So if the names were there, maybe the quality of the teams wasn't quite. The last 15 years, it feels like the potential or the field of potential winners of the Champions League got smaller. And this year has felt the smallest ever. Um, in fact, it did kind of come down once Liverpool got knocked out, then once Bayern got knocked out, mainly by City, once Madrid got knocked out, it was kind of a clear path. And even the final, right? Inter put it up to them admirably. And I think Inter played to their maximum. But it did feel part of that was also City playing against themselves to, to a certain extent, given mm. the, 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 their history in the competition, given their last final. And also, I, w- I wonder whether just uh, Guardiola primes his teams to be physically at their peak in March, April. There was a long gap from winning the Premier League. I mean, clinching it 
um, to the final itself, and I think that maybe affected performance. Um, so it's two way. You know, they beat all, all the best sides they could, and secondly, the um, the field is smaller because of a world in part created by City's owners. But I think the City and PSG comparison is really interesting, Miguel, because I think over the last couple of years, um, PSG have, I think, looked at Manchester City and thought, how can we replicate that model more? I think if you go back to when um, Pochettino's team were absolutely flattened um, on on the way to the final by uh, Manchester City going back a couple of years, I think that was the point where PSG started looking at, actually, maybe we'd have been better off buying six players for 60 million rather than two players for who cost the best part of 200 million each. Um, I think they started to question the star model then. And I think if you look at the areas in which um, PSG have moved, not just in terms of recruitment, because that's a gradual process, and until they got Messi and Ramos off the books and hopefully from their perspective, Neymar in, in, in the relatively near future, they can't really enact that amount of meaningful change. But I think if you look at the gentle movement towards um, constructing a, a multi-club model, for example, for QSI. That is something that says, actually, you know how um, all the other big leagues in Europe try and align themselves with the Premier League's model. They want to copy the Premier League's model, which is is, is complicated. Um, PSG are kind of trying to do that with Manchester City. They're, they're acknowledging their own mistakes whilst not acknowledging their own mistakes, if, if, if you see what I mean. Now, I, I think... The reason that City have been able to to, to capitalise is because, okay, we know about the, the, the resources, but it's a combination of the resources and the strategy. So not just hiring the best coach, but hiring the best executives to go around him, which persuaded Guardiola to come in the first place. And up until this point, really, the, the Premier League, uh, sorry, the Champions League had been their only real blind spot. But I definitely think it helped that in terms of strategy, I think you can see huge faults in PSG, in Bayern, who, despite getting rid of Khan and Salihamidzic, as, as we spoke about with Archie recently, I, I think they've got a long way to go before they become a genuine challenger in the, in, in the Champions League again. It, it feels to me as if they're a bit of a mess. Um, Barcelona have got a lot of work to do in the transfer window this summer, and they were so, so short in in Europe. Um, I just wonder, now City have got over the hump, do we see this as, you know, the beginning of an era of of domination, unless something massively changes there? Because the strategy of their would-be competitors is way short of what it should be. There's a City meeting about 2017, in which, so Guardi- it was Guardiola's second season at the club, they're on that run, and the executives were basically talking about the first decade of this project is making us regular Champions League winners. The second decade is about making us regular... Uh, sorry, the first decade is about making us regular Premier League winners. Mm. The second decade is about make, making us regular Champions League winners. And it does feel we're at that point. And even Guardiola wrote this on in, in the aftermath of the game. He now sees it. I mean, there had been kind of this expectation he might leave if they win it. Not a chance now. He wants to win. He, he knows he's in the sort of circumstances that can bring him, or that, well, that he can bring them as well, his fourth Champions League, his fifth, 
to kind of you know crown himself as the greatest coach of all time, to have that to have that mm. record there on top of his influence on football. He will want to win the Champions League back to back. That is now the question that must uh, be in front of these big boys of football who really haven't performed. Can you see any of those big boys who didn't uh, perform to maybe the level that they would have expected to perform to, at least challenge to the level that they uh, would have been expected to challenge Manchester City? Can you see any of them coming back, bouncing back next season and challenging? Andy? If, if there was one, I think it would have to be Real Madrid. But I think what has been remarkable about Real Madrid in, in, in the last couple of years is that they have been quite obviously entering a period of transition. But they've managed to largely keep winning while they've, they've been doing that. Now, part of that is an exceptional set of players who have that sort of winning muscle memory, if you like. And, of course, we're talking about Modric, Benzema. Now, I think that they're moving to a younger model. And, like I said, the content of the game, certainly in the knockout, right up until the bit where they got absolutely battered by Manchester City at, at the Etihad, was was better, was more convincing than when they'd gone on to win the competition last season. I guess the difficulty is, when you look at the midfield, for example, I, th- I think the, the, the difficulty is twofold. When you look at the midfield, um, you look at Bellingham, Camavinga, Chouameni, and yes, that could be the best midfield in Europe for the next decade. But will it be next season? I think that's the question. And how much guidance will they have from those senior players who have that ability to win even when they're not playing brilliantly? I think the exit of Benzema is big in in those terms. I think the fact that Luka Modric on international duty with Croatia has been ducking the question about the Saudi contract that's been offered to him, which again is a huge difficult to say no to contract. If you've only got a year left at Real Madrid, do you say no to it? I mean, we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks, I suspect. I just wonder if that's the major difficulty for Real Madrid. Are there experienced players who are aiding the transition going to get picked off by Saudi Arabia? That That is a huge question for them and their ability to, to challenge next season. Now, Barcelona's challenge is, is something different because, as I said before, they look so, so short of... In, in, in the Champions League this season, in a, in a group, admittedly, with good teams like um, Bayern and Inter, who got themselves all, all the way to the, the, the final. Um, but with Barcelona, I think there are legitimate questions about how um, Xavi is creating a philosophy and creating a more defensive philosophy than any anyone expected them to. You know, at, is that sort of pace of football the sort of pace of football that, that wins Champions League nowadays. I mean, I think if you go back to the era in which Atletico excelled in 2014 and, and 2016, maybe this is an era, that is an era, in which this Barcelona team thrives. But Miguel, it's not the sort of dynamic Barcelona we're used to, is it? But that's exactly it. Um, and I mean, all, all this comes in a wider context of Barcelona where, I mean, you talk about it got transfer business to do this summer. <laughs> Look what it did last summer. 
and it's only partially <laughs> from the team. Now, I mean, Oscar Garcia, the 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 coach, he, I, I, he he did a piece for us actually recently, just about kind of because he was talking about Guardiola and and, and Xavi, and um, he was he he argued that had the Champions League started in January, given the kind of evolution of players like Balde, you would expect Barca to have at least got through the group, maybe go that bit further. But but it still feels there's a you know, they're in that period of transition. And that transition itself, I mean, I, I don't want to keep bringing it back to this major team, but there's no escaping how much it's influenced football. Bar- Barcelona are basically still recovering from it's <laughs> a, a, a long period where they were trying to over a um, overcome the fact that all of their brains trust and eventually their two major stars were taken off them by the two in, in, in original state-owned club. Manchester City basically took all of their in, uh, their brains trust right up to the manager mm. eventually, although he was in Bayern obviously in the meantime. And Paris Saint-Germain took Messi and um, and uh, Neymar, all while drastically raising uh, wage bills. So you know to make it more difficult, and, 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 and people won't feel too much sympathy uh, for, Bar- for Barcelona and Real Madrid in this sense. But really, it's about the effect on the wider game. So they've still been recovering from that. Um, and now, and, and, and obviously that kind of led to this almost a financial implosion, really, that led to uh, the departure of Messi and everything that happened last summer. But, but it also points to something as well. I mean, even, what, seven years ago, so that Peter talking about with Atletico Madrid, we, yeah, seven years ago, a club from outside, outside that real kind of bracket of super clubs, and Atletico Madrid did drag themselves up into that, but let's not forget, before Simeone took over in 2011, they were... The basket case they've always they always had been, but the gap to being a kind of a club there thereabouts and actually being able to win trophies it wasn't as big. Now it does feel we're at the point where anyone outside of a t- like there's a certain tier of clubs who just by virtue by force of numbers are going to be there, but it's only about four or five clubs now. Sometimes they'll be perfect, sometimes they won't, but they'll always have the, the, that strength to keep them there. And outside of that group now, it feels like teams have to be perfect. And you know, again, mm-hmm. you can point to the example of England with Liverpool and, and Arsenal being able to compete with City in the league. Uh, but that is now applying across Europe. Uh, and it, it does feel there's been a bit of a realigning of European football this way, where the Champions League is basically, its world is at the very top end, that, a field of potential winners. It's never been so small, which is why a Milan club, Inter, were, were breath of fresh air this season. Even, even though for all the reasons we've mentioned, they're really, they, you know, they're, they're really stretching themselves to get that far. Well, there is one other... Um... I suppose, aspect of the conversation of whether the big boys will be back in town next season or not that intrigues me. Over the last 48 hours, we've had made public the um, letter that Kylian Mbappe of PSG has sent to the club uh, that he won't be uh, extending his contract beyond next year. That, it would seem on the surface, Andy, would be a major blow to any chance of PSG being uh, keen competitors in the Champions League next season. For Eden um, has sent us a message on Instagram, which asks at the end of that, possible destinations for Kylian Mbappe outside of Madrid. What PSG want and what PSG can get are, are, are two different things. I mean, they will find new and exciting ways of basically wetting themselves in public when it comes to this sort of thing. The, the fact is that they have known, unless they've not been listening, which is a possibility, 
that for for a while that Kylian Mbappe was not going to action the extra year on his contract. So we all remember last year when um, that they stood at the Parc des Princes him and Nasser Al Khalifi on the the final home game holding that um, rather misleading shirt that said Mbappe twenty twenty five on the back because it was always a two plus one contract, two year plus one year option in the player's favour. Um, he had to tell them whether he was going to action that or not by the end of this July. So that they, they knew something was coming. And they knew that, because he was quite clear about it, that he wanted to keep his, his options open, but that he was going to stay for, for next season. So to 2024, uh, at least. I, you know, I think part of that is he doesn't want to go anywhere before before the Euros. But also, he wants to keep PSG honest. He wants to see what they're going to do with this year's transfer window because he didn't get what he wanted out of, of last year's one. And that's why um, there was that kerfuffle last autumn where he was he, he was looking for a, for a way out. So even though they can say that things are going to change, like we said before, in, until they get Neymar off the books, it's really hard to enact any, any, any sort of meaningful change. And... You know, the, the, the proof is in the pudding. He, he wanted uh, a big centre-forward to play off, didn't get him. Remember, we talk, Miguel was talking about um, different powers um, and, and different means in European football and the means of West Ham. Remember, West Ham outbid PSG for Gianluca Scamacca. It seems extraordinary now, but that's what happened. And, you know, he would have been the sort of profile of player that Mbappe would have liked to play off. Look, they can't make him go anywhere this summer. And if we've seen anything from Kylian Mbappe's career so far, Miguel, it's the fact that when it comes to not just to contracts, but in terms of fulfilling um, advertising obligations taken on by the national team, if it's something he doesn't believe in, he's not going to do it. We are, we are seeing the most modern player possible in that, a natural product of the Messi-Ronaldo era in that he's seen all the benefits of being super famous and super... Su- um, super quality that Ronaldo Messi are but he's more conscious of the potential benefits and, and the power of the player in this regard to the degree that they quite they, they weren't quite and it's already been seen I suppose in his contract negotiations but even even on that I do I do wonder with Mbappe at this point how much is he looking at say Erling Haaland who's been the, the sensation of the season and is pretty much relevant every week whereas and again it's because it's because of the world PSG have constructed in France where there's this, this massive gap between them and the rest, even allowing for their perpetual kind of element of farce, creating the illusion of competition almost. Um, does Mbappe think, well, I've got to be more like, because at this point he's only in, it feels like he's only in about eight globally relevant games a year, if that. What about the answer to For Eden's question though, Miguel? Um, possible destinations for Kylian Mbappe outside of Madrid. Do you know anything? Well, I suppose Manchester United, I mean, even without the potential Qatari takeover, and I suppose that, that's in, it's it's amazing how that's that has created another undercurrent to all this. Um, but United United would be one of the few clubs that would have the power if the Glazers were willing to run the club in that way. But then it's it's why the takeover so central as well. Um, funnily, like when the news came out last night, obviously you're kind of or sorry on Monday night, you're kind of busily sending messages. You know, have you heard about this and around people you know in football? And uh, one club who would be traditionally traditional members of the um, the Premier League Big Six, and they you you would have considered one of the more powerful. 
And the answer I got for, about their interest was not a chance. We cannot go to that level. Uh, interestingly, I did hear one club were concerned that while obviously thinking Mbappe is sensational, th- this team isn't about egos. Um, now, m- of course, most would be willing to look past that. Mbappe is devastating. But uh, it's an interesting, maybe extra dynamic to his potential career here. I think it's how you define ego because lots of clubs will always define ego as a player that stands up for themselves. And that's exactly what he is. I mean, he's got a reputation really of having principles. Okay, he, he has had his, his, his little tantrums. And I think if you go back to, to last autumn, that, that, that could certainly be interpreted as that. But having said that, it's only because he's always had a very clear vision of, of what he wants. And I think when you look forward and you look at him and Erling Haaland with his release clauses, you've got arguably the two next best players in the world, and they probably will be the two best players in the world going forward, who aren't going to sign massive long contracts, who not quite being freelance, but are always going to keep their options open. You know, it could be a new way of managing football careers at the at the hyper elite level. In terms of Mbappe, yeah, I guess there are, are other clubs who could stretch through it, especially Manchester United if they get taken over um, this summer. Um, I, I don't know. I'm sure Chelsea would find the money from from somewhere. Uh, if, Chelsea if, was going to mention, actually, of course, yeah. <laughs> if it came to that, yeah. Um, but the fact is, I think it all goes back to he will do what he wants. I think he joins Madrid for free next summer. Well, wherever he ends up next summer, are we concluding that Manchester City will be the favourites to win the Champions League, to retain the Champions League next season? Miguel? Yeah, <laughs> I think at the very least until Guardiola leaves, the default position with every competition they're in is that City will win it. <laughs> and Andy? Same. Brilliantly. Miguel, thank you very much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. 
Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash ramble. So we've just been talking about Kylian Mbappe and where he may or may not end up next season, Andy. One thing's for sure, we know we have one person we know definitively will not be leaving Paris next season. Our very own Jonathan Johnson's here. Jonathan in Paris. Gay Paris, how are you? Hey there, guys. Doing well, thanks. And yourselves? Well... Got some breaking news for you. I might not be in Paris after all. I'm just waiting on an offer from Saudi Arabia to, to take my services elsewhere. <laughs> for the moment, I'll be in Paris. I can't promise you that'll be the case by the time the season starts. Get to the back of the queue on that Saudi Arabia one. <laughs> uh, but there, there is a lot to talk about. Clearly, we know how the season ended up. As usual, PSG are up there. So let's talk about the runners and riders we've had a tweet jj from red star belgrade i love that name um he asked on twitter who has been or should really be which has been the fairy tale team of this season Oh, I mean, in France, you can't look further than uh, Lens. Uh, I mean, coming second place, second to PSG by just one point at the end of the season as well. I mean, for them to get back to the Champions League uh, in itself is, is a massive achievement, especially when you consider their journey uh, over the last couple of seasons, returning from Ligue 2, uh, basically consolidating themselves in the top half of the Ligue 1 table and then suddenly going one better, challenging for the title. Uh, you know, it is, it, it's a phenomenal story. I mean, you look at the, the the, the meteoric rise, really, of Franck is the, the the head coach who is now going to lead this long side in uh, in the Champions League next season. Seko Fofana as well. Uh, you know, many people were surprised when he opted to leave Udinese for Lens. Uh, you know, and it's turned out to be an inspired move because he's now the the talisman of this uh, this this team. And I think something else that's really impressed people about Lens is they haven't gone and signed any of these kind of flashy players. You know, they operate on a, a massively reduced budget compared to PSG. I mean, that's obvious. Anyone in Ligue 1 has a hugely reduced budget compared with PSG. But Lens themselves, I mean, if you were looking at them budget-wise, you placed them mid-table. So for them to be up there to run PSG as close as they did in the league table by the end of the season, it's a phenomenal achievement. And the feel-good factor around this club is enormous at this moment in time. And the club itself, it's an important one in the French footballing landscape as well. They have a real 
cult uh, identity their fans i think are going to be a fantastic uh, addition or, or well they'll be welcomed back to the champions league stage because it's not the first time Lance have played there either so i you know when you're looking for fairy tale stories i don't think you can look further than Lance, and not just in france i think in europe as a whole as well jj what do you think keeps those players there because you mentioned Seko Fofana before um, at the moment uh, Lois Appenda is being linked with the move to Leipzig um, came in and played a blinder up front probably should have played more for Belgium uh, during the World Cup um, given the fitness and form of some of their other forward options and he's he's been brilliant um, Fofana could have gone a year and a half ago to, to, to Burnley and decided not to. They had a big uh, gala celebration on the pitch, which was quite sweet when he signed a new contract um, earlier this season. Um, so I understand that players want to be part of something successful. Um, but what else is it that gets them to, to stay? Because it's not money. And if... They well, I guess they feel reasonably confident of holding on to a pender. Though we'll wait and see. But you look at uh, Facundo Medina as well, the Argentinian defender, um, as, as well as Fofana, the captain. He's absolutely vital to them. They're able to bring in um, Brice Samba as well, who could have got better wages in, in in the Premier League. What is it that gets those players to come and to stay? I think the the thing that makes a lot of them stay is the fact that Lance. Uh, you know, they, they really consider and think hard uh, about the transfer business that they do. They often, you know, will sacrifice one star name in order to keep, uh, you know, a bunch of the others, pretty much all of the others. In fact, I mean, you look at the departure of Jonathan Close, for example, to, to Marseille uh, before last season. Many people were expecting, because he'd broken into the France national team, that, uh, you know, this long side were really going to miss one of their key pieces, somebody who was an unexpectedly late bloomer, uh, you know, who, who managed to work his way all up to all the way up to international recognition with Le Bleu, uh, suddenly goes to Marseille, you know, for what was, I mean, it was a decent fee for, for somebody who'd already turned 30, but it's not exactly sort of, um, you know, life-changing money for, for a club that's trying to, to compete and qualify for Europe, yet move, allowing him to move on enabled, uh, you know, Lance to, to keep the rest of that group together. And they were able to to dig their heels in when it came to Seco Fofana wanting, uh, you know, the, the price that reflected the contribution that he made because let's let, let's look at Fofana as a whole like basically we're asking ourselves why is Fofana still there well Fofana was the outstanding performer uh, in Liga and really over probably the the last two seasons okay he had a little bit of a dip of form this last uh, you know for a couple of months in the last season but the season before that he was absolutely phenomenal and that's across every team including PSG so Lance uh, you know and the way that they approach the transfer market I think that's absolutely key to them being able to hold on to a lot of these talented players and I think we'll see it again this summer I think that they will probably sacrifice somebody like Openda because yes he scored a phenomenal amount of goals but he also hit a hot streak at the right time in order for them to potentially cash in on him this summer and keep some key pieces elsewhere because before that like you said you mentioned Medina was being linked with moves away Kevin Danso as well uh you know and somebody could have come in for somebody like a Bruce Samba because you're right uh, you know he there was a lot of surprise that he he joined Lens uh, after Nottingham Forest, and now that he's uh, a France international as well, uh, you know there are going to be suitors for his services as well. So I think this summer, with a lot of those players, a lot of them will want to experience the Champions League as part of this story. I suppose in the Bundesliga, Andy, there are two particular fairy tales, one bigger than the other, in terms of Union Berlin, a team 
that not many people would have heard of. They they took the Bundesliga by storm, didn't they, this season? It's been remarkable, Dutton, and you think um, I came up to the Bundesliga for the first time in, in, in 2019, and that was meant to be the miracle. You know, they were brought up really by the the love of their fans um, in the old East Berlin, um, the the rather less money than fashionable side, I, I guess, um, certainly less resources than Hertha, and we'll come back to Hertha in a minute, actually. But what Union have done really is just absolutely extraordinary, I think, in in, in the years since they've come up, because um, they they stabilised quite well in 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 that first season, um, and then from from there they qualified for Europe once, they qualified for Europe twice. They're in the um, the Europa League last season, and this season as well as sort of titillating the teams at the top for the bit, um, they ensured Champions League football on the final day of the season. It's remarkable. Uh, again, a really small budget. Um, they have become really smart at signing players, though, I think, over the, over the last little while. And um, you look at the working relationship between uh, Oliver Runa, the, um, the sporting director, and uh, Urs Fischer, the coach, who when he took over in the second tier, you know, he'd, he'd won Swiss championships with Basel before, so um, he was he was a well-regarded coach. But what he's done there is above and beyond what what anyone expected. They won a lot of games last season in quite a Bayern-esque fashion, and I mean old-style Bayern, in that no one played dazzling football, but they'd find a way of getting it won, and they did that quite a lot. Um, they defended very well last season. Uh, Diego Lett, who, who came in from Porto, who, who's now a permanent player there, who was on loan last season. Uh, he was great. Um, you look at the front two they had for most of the season. Well, mainly it was Geraldo Becker, who I don't think it's unfair to say to him, um, a Dutch winger who's a, a journeyman, really. But after Taiwa Owen-E left for um, Nottingham Forest, um, played more as a forward. Um, he linked really well with uh, Jordan Sibachur, uh, certainly in the first part of the season. And Geraldo Becker was just brilliant last season. Fantastic. The season of his life at, what, 28, 29 years old. And I think that's the key. Getting the most out of players that really other teams wouldn't have been massively interested in. I mean, you look at them now. Hertha were relegated this season and are in a financial mess. Hertha in three years of investment from Lars Windhorst, their former major shareholder. They spent 360 million euros and didn't get anywhere. Whereas Union spent a fraction of that, but it's all about strategy. And, you know, they've been the best team in Berlin for some time now. They've won the last four derbies. And you know what? Maybe they can ruffle a few feathers in the Champions League because each time you think they've got to the absolute peak of what they can manage and yet they take it up a notch. So, JJ, comparative fairy tales in in the Bundesliga and in League Anne. I wonder what that tells us. Where do these stories lead your thinking? Is there a comparison that can be made here? You know, I don't really think that there is a club that can maybe be comparable to somebody like a, a union. Uh, you know, but I do think, uh, you know, sort of Lens in themselves are very much the underdog, despite being, uh, you know, a reputable club, a big club, uh, you know, one with, that has a cult appeal to fans across the country. Uh, you know, one that I should add as well, uh, you know, is, is oversized for, for, for the area that it's in. You know, Lens itself is tiny. You could, you could fill all the people 
who live in Lens in the stadium and still have room for extra people. Uh, you know, that's sort of how big the club <laughs> is compared to, to its local area. But the, 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 the great appeal about Lens is the fact that they're punching above their weight ahead of some of these clubs that, uh, you know, have really, uh, you know, sort of uh, become complacent of, of late. Marseille, Monaco, Lyon, uh, you know, big clubs who are going to have to play catch up massively over the summer and next season. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, the fact that Lens as well represents a region um, and a part of France that is actually very poor. I think it's the poorest uh, region uh, in France right now. Uh, and they also have this uh, identity with the, the mining community as well. They're very much, uh, you know, a, a unique club, one that I think, uh, you know, people universally around the world who are interested in football, uh, you know, would immediately have an affinity with They're that kind of every person's club. And in that way, there are some similarities with Union, I think. Arguably, Andy, the biggest fairy tale of all uh, was in Serie A. Uh, and we'll come to that in a moment. But also, arguably, the uh, biggest, oh, what a shame, nearly fairy tale was, again, in the Bundesliga with Dortmund losing out uh, to Bayern Munich just on goal difference on the last day of the season as well. Yes, Dortmund's finish to the season overshadows everything unfortunately that's the thing that will stick it in everyone's minds how they didn't get it over the line against Mainz on that final day rather than I guess if you look at um, them if you look at Lens um, if you look to an extent uh, at Union um, clubs who weren't expected um, to challenge at the, the start of the season got themselves pretty close in, in, in the end. I mean, Dortmund's story is, is, is extraordinary, really, when you consider they were sixth at Christmas, when you consider, for obviously very different reasons, Sebastian Allaire, Daniel Marlin and Karim Adeyemi hadn't scored a league goal between them before January and ended up powering them up the table and to a position where they could and should have won it on the, on the final day. Um, as Archie was saying the other week, I, I think writing off... Dortmund um, and, and saying that if, if they couldn't get this one over the, the line they never will I, I think there will maybe be more chances um, because they showed that they were putting in the right direction in the the end of the season they showed that they've, they've definitely got the right coach um, that Sebastian Kale's doing a, a pretty good job upstairs that they've managed to keep players who have been key players um, like Mats Hummels and Marco Royce on board, despite the fact they've had their playing time and their their pay cut, but they still want to be part of it. I think that says a lot about the atmosphere around Dortmund and, and how those players do want to be involved. JJ, it does seem, as we're discussing these fairy tales, as if the Champions League that we were talking about in the first section of today's pod is kind of difficult to penetrate the big boys the really big boys the men cities etc whereas in the domestic leagues it does seem as if they're up for grabs that there are there is some real competition and there's an opportunity for less fashionable clubs to penetrate it at the moment i mean if we're taking these examples in the bundesliga and in Liga. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think even as well, when you look at the Premier League, because I know many people feel like perhaps that is still a closed shop and I guess we'll find out next season. But there are there are some clubs, you know, the likes of Brighton, the likes of Aston Villa breaking into the European positions at the expense of a of a Tottenham, of a Chelsea. You would expect, obviously, Chelsea to be sort of back in the reckoning there. Uh, you know, for, for that to sort of, you know, be a confirmed trend as well in the Champions League, I think we're talking sort of another couple of years. But if I bring it back to, to sort of Ligue 1, in particular, I think it's something that we've seen now over the last couple of seasons. I mean, I mentioned the examples earlier of Marseille, Lyon, Monaco, these clubs who are sort of falling away a little bit of, of late. You know, Monaco, uh, sorry, uh, Lyon uh, have basically been falling away since they reached the Champions League semi-finals mm. back in 2020. Uh, you know, they've really struggled to get themselves back into European contention. Monaco are, are, are sort of on and off, but you know, Monaco really suffer every time that they don't qualify for Europe. So I think you can expect them to to drop off, uh, you know, a little bit. Uh, and then Marseille, you know, it really depends when Macorta, you know, is going to want to to spend the kind or invest the sort of sums of money that a the club like Marseille requires uh, in order to be competitive. I mean, there's been whispers for a long time now that OM might be the next club uh, to sort of be bought out uh, in Ligue 1. Perhaps that is the sort of thing that might be necessary, uh, you know, in order for them to, to sort of remain, um, you know, I guess relevant for, for want of a better um, term uh, at the top of Ligue 1 because they, they seem to sort of come close but not close enough so many times now. Uh, you know, that it's almost expected that there'll be also rounds before the season even begins. But like you said, Dotton, um, in amongst all these unexpected title challenges, one of the most unexpected was was Napoli, you know, who we've said it before and we'll say it again, if we're being honest with ourselves, that very few of us expected them to finish even top four at the, the, the start of the season. They managed to go and get it done. Now, um, whether Napoli can follow that up, whether it's the start of a dynasty... I don't really know. We'll we'll have to see. Um, obviously, Luciano Spalletti's going. Uh, Aurelio Di Laurentiis is confident that he'll be able to hold on to Victor Ozimen and Krisha Kavaratskelia. We'll, we'll, again, we'll see if that's possible. And we'll see what sort of reinforcements they can make. Um, they're looking at some interesting coaches to take over with Christophe Galtier, um, the favourite after, after leaving um, PSG. But I think really what Napoli have shown as well as the fact that um, good players well coached can get it done you know they looked at the start of the season as if they didn't have a really together strategy you know they had experienced players leaving left and right um, the fans were very restless very unhappy about the, the, the way things were being led but really it's not just Napoli's brilliance and I'm not trying to underrate for a second Napoli's brilliance because they've been wonderful to watch all season um, it's the fact that it's a really open league. Uh, I think you look at at the start of the season, Inter would have been one of the favourites. It was clear by Christmas they weren't going to win it. Um, Milan's um, title defence in, in, in 2023 certainly wasn't great. Juventus have all the stuff going on that they have going on. Um, Lazio overperformed. Um, Roma didn't get quite to where they want to. But I think if you look at you know Fiorentina getting to the Conference League final... And every team that finished above them, all the seven teams that finished above them were, were, were decent teams. So I think if in France we're talking about um, a levelling by subtraction by the big clubs um, disappointing and underachieving and not getting their strategy right, as, as JJ was saying, I think in Italy 
and, and Germany is, is maybe a little bit different. You know, I think in in, in Germany, um, Bayern have their problems. Dortmund are beginning to look convincing um, in, in terms of the process. Leipzig, who've won two DFB Pokals in a, in, a, in a row and didn't finish far off the top themselves, um, are beginning to look the part as, as, as well. So in terms of us hoping for more open campaigns in 23-24 from all of these these leagues i think we've got we've got something to to have some hope for from the napoli fairy tale uh, to i suppose the fairy tale of italians back in Europe, in, in European Cup finals as well. Thankfully, we've got Nicky Bandini with us to explain the uh, club or domestic competition versus continental competitions uh, saga. How, how would they describe it in Italy? It's actually a really interesting part of this sort of conversation, I think, when we talk about why there was such an Italian success in Europe this season. Um, one of the theories that's been put forward is actually the fact that Napoli had sewn up the league so early. I mean, they were 18 points clear in February that anyone else who might have otherwise put some energy towards it, like Milan, like Inter, like Turan, went, well, maybe it made more sense for us to, to go after those European trophies instead. Did, do you buy that? I, I think it's a very oversimplifying version of what went on. But I, I, there's certainly something in it because you can look at some of the team selections made by Stefano Pioli in particular and also Simona Inzaghi um, late in the season. And there was a clear sort of decision by both of them at, at certain junctures, not necessarily always, but at certain junctures to say, do you know what, like this Champions League game coming up is more important to us. So we're going to pick our strongest team for that game. And, and if it means fielding some weaker players in these games, and sometimes that led to points being dropped. Like there, there were points dropped in those games where, where rotation happened. So I think there's a little bit of truth in it, um, but I think it's not the whole picture at all. I, I guess the, the other variable to that, Nikki, is the Juventus situation because the mm. fact that they had 15 points taken off them, then got them back, then had 10 taken off them again. Um, uh, certainly in the case of Roma, that affected the way they approached things. And we, we know that Mourinho seeks to over-dramatise stuff on occasion. I thought, as I said at the time, and I, I know I think we broadly agreed on that, that he actually had a point. He, he talked specifically, didn't he, about two games at Bologna and Monza, which were kind of non-event type draws that they didn't exactly bust a blood vessel to to to, to go and win. Um, mm. That maybe maybe that affected things as as, as well. Yeah, d- d- definitely. I I think you know I I think maybe it's been like one of the recurring themes when I've come and talked to you guys, um, maybe all through the last season and maybe even longer. That like I I think has been this sort of really powerful um, part of the Jose Mourinho Roma story. That's all about the narrative. Like it's all about the story that you agree to tell yourselves and the story that you agree to tell your fans. And if your fans buy into it and your players buy into it, the the power in that, like the agreeing all together of what's important. And and I think that that's like underpinned all of these um all of these these stories i think that that napoli had such a powerful story that built up of of wanting to win this this um scudetto but i think that for roma absolutely this sort of um story that Mourinho told about sort of understanding that this glory would mean so much to his fans and it wasn't about him it was about the fans and what he wanted to deliver them and that's why he took these decisions and and prioritized in that way and and I think that 
the same story became true more and more for what not the same story but a story became true more and more for for Inter as, as the season came along and was why they I think arrived at that Champions League final in such compelling form which the world saw a bit in the final in the end was because they actually had bought into yes Simone Inzaghi Re di Coppe the king of the cups this is what we're here for this is what matters we want to win this and we believe that we can beat anyone in this and and there are decisions you make along those journeys there are choices you make um about sort of I guess pursuing those 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 dreams and and those ambitions and and certainly Mourinho in telling a story that didn't have the ending that he wanted to made some absolutely uh, ruthless at times wild at times Mourinho-esque constantly um decisions whether that was um about his team selections or about how he was going to uh build up siege narratives about referees against him and wiretaps that he was wearing to games. I, I know it's a cliche, Andy, but is it fair to say that we witnessed a Italian renaissance this season? I, I, I think it's completely fair because not only did those three teams uh, get into the final, um, other Italian teams got deep into the, the competition. You do wonder if... Um, Napoli maybe missed a trick. You know they weren't that far away from uh, winning the quarterfinal against against Milan, and they were a team that I think would have made it an even more interesting final. With no criticism of Inter because they are arguably the closest of all the three Italian teams um, to, to 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 getting it over the line. I thought I thought they they played better than Fiorentina or than Roma in their in their finals, and you know City needed a a, a fair dose of of fortune so I think when you bear in mind that Roma pretty much everything went to plan apart from the Mancini own goal and they only lost on penalties um, Fiorentina dominated possession played really well I thought in, in the end I think it was a matter of means because Lucas Pacatar, who is a player they could never afford turned the last part of that game um, and then again into really they, they might have regrets that some of the chances didn't go in but how, what would they have done differently, really? I, I thought they were, they, they were terrific. So in terms of it being a renaissance, no, I don't, I don't think it is an exaggeration. I, I think it's entirely fair. Whether it can be repeated, Nicky wrote something I thought quite convincing in The Guardian to say that maybe maybe Inter have got something to, to, to build with. Because there's so much financial uncertainty, I, I certainly think it, it feels to me as if Milan are on firmer ground, even if you know that maybe their experience undid them, particularly in that semi-final. Um, I, I would love to believe that Inzaghi can continue this with Inter because obviously extraordinary season. They won the Supercoppa, um, they won the Coppa Italia as well. In again, what was a brilliant final I thought with with Fiorentina, in which Fiorentina were not far away. So, if we're talking about cup teams. How how big a chance do you think there is really, Nikki, of uh, Inter being able to come again? I I think it's it's really hard to predict right now, and I think it it really hinges on um, whether you believe that Sunning can can make a little bit of of magic happen in terms of keeping the squad together and and continuing to build on it. Um, they were the oldest team by average starting eleven in Serie A this season, so it's it's not a young group. Now there's a couple of players who who bring that up by a chunk, right? Edin Dzeko is thirty seven, Francesco Acerbi is. 
what is 35 or 36 i'm getting confused now i think he's 35 um those those two players bring your average up a bit um and perhaps jekka won't be there next season his contract is 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 going to expire um and and the problem is that those players even those two i just mentioned are important and if you kept this whole team together i would believe that it could be something that you could build on because you have got I think extraordinary depth in this squad compared to anyone else in Italy. When you talk about having Dzeko, Lautaro, Lukaku up front, nobody else in Italy can can make those sorts of decisions in their attack. When you talk about being able to lose Mkhitaryan in a European semi-final and bring Brozovic off the bench, nobody else in Italy can make those sorts of decisions. Um, And I think those things, maybe Napoli, maybe Napoli can make something approximating those sorts of decisions, but absolutely no one else. The issue is that they aren't in a comfortable financial position. They lost 245 million two years ago. They lost 140 million last year. They've made good money off this Champions League run, but they um, need to be, by next year, going into a three-year monitoring period with UEFA, where they're supposed to only lose 60 million in three seasons. On top of which, they have a 275 million euro um, loan to pay back to Oak Tree. And, and Stephen Zhang, the, the club president, I find a really fascinating figure because I I think he genuinely loves it. I think he genuinely wants to be a football club president, to be inter president and to make it a success. But he doesn't have this autonomy. I mean, he's sort of the the son of the family and the, you know, the the, the real power in the family is is not his in the sinning sort of um, uh, ownership group. And even if it was, sinning's hands are tied by the fact that the Chinese government restricts foreign investment. So the club cannot summon money from nowhere. And you have got these difficult situations like a loan to pay back in UEFA to 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 appease. And so it's hard for me to see everything staying together. Now, the positive part of the story, I would say, is I think there's a core of really good Italian talent that you probably can keep together. I think that Nicola Barella is not going anywhere. I think Alessandro Bastoni right now is in love with working for Inzaghi and he's a great talent and that's not going anywhere. I think Federico Di Marco, the Inter fan who got to play in a Champions League final, he's not going anywhere, right? So you're got those players, adding Darmian, adding Acerbi who are a bit older, but you've got an Italian spine that's really, really good. And I think you can afford to lose some bits around it and still have a good team. But a team that goes to a Champions League final, you're going to have to get creative. And if we're talking about next season, I guess we may as well ask where will Jose Mourinho be next season? Will he still be in Roma? Unlikely, isn't it? It feels more likely now than it did a couple of weeks ago. And um, I I know that finals can feel like they're everything at the time. Um, But I think from his perspective, it was was, was a big advert for him. And um, by really being consistent and being true to himself... He kind of torpedoed his his image all over again, which which is extraordinary, really. I don't think it's any coincidence, um, as we said before, that he's strongly linked with the PSG job, and two days after the final, the talk in France is that Julian Nagelsmann's nearly got it. I, I don't think that's any coincidence at all, because the the worldwide, not just the European reaction uh, to Mourinho in that final, and. Really, if, if if we're being totally fair about it, he didn't behave, and Roma didn't behave any differently than what they did in any other European knockout tie. You know that the um, the focused and quite studied getting after the match officials 
and spreading out the burden of that between the different people on the bench, spreading that burden out between the players. That's something they've done the whole way through. This was just on the biggest stage. So people who looked at Roma and the big crowds at the Olympico and all that from a distance had maybe convinced themselves that, oh, maybe Mourinho's changed. He hasn't. He hasn't at all. It's just the fact that Roma is a great advert for him because him and Roma at this point in his career and at this point of where they are fit really well together. And there seems to be that understanding now. You know, they're even talking about a contract extension. Um, I think it's good experience in that team. Um, you look at the early signings, Usem Awa, uh, Evan Ndika, I think are great signings, especially on, on free transfers. And we'll see where they, they go from there. Obviously, they need a Tammy Abraham replacement because he injured himself like very seriously in the, the last league game of the season. Um, at least from their perspective that they're back in the, the Europa League. But in terms of really changing their financial outlook, Nicky, it's, it's, it's got to be the Champions League for, for, for them next, doesn't it? Yeah, just to pick up on, on that point about the Champions League money, Andy, you know, like the TV rights money that the Serie A winners earn is less than the TV rights money than the Premier League's last place team earns. That's that's the disparity you're talking about when you when you try to consider like what they're up against and competing is. It's why these runs for Inter, for Milan, and even for Napoli going to the quarterfinals of the Champions League means so much. Is that actually is a real like difference maker in a way that I'm not convinced it is actually for the top Premier League clubs to the same extent anymore. They're so they're so comfortable with what they can make domestically that the Champions League no longer is as big a chunk of it. Um, and of course, like yeah, losing that final by such narrow margins, you say it, it takes an own goal. Um, it is uh, is is really really damaging to to Roma's outlook, and I and I don't think that Jose. My worry for Roma is, I think everything you said is exactly right. I think it's it's exactly right that he, that they sort of are looking at each other and going, well, you're good for me and and I'm good for you right now. But I, my worry is that Jose did really kind of want this to be his swan song. He wanted to win the Europa League and ride off into the sunset with a bigger job. Say, look, everything I've achieved, I've taken to the Champions League, and now he's got to this point where he has really pushed this team hard to go to two European finals. He's been long seasons. And instead of having that big sign-off, what's happened is you've got to go again. Maybe he can keep it going. My worry would be, is his heart still going to be in it for a third year? Or is he just there because PSG looked at what happened in that final and thought, actually, that's not the image we want right now. Andy, well, that is a wrap, you know, for this season. Uh, quite a uh, remarkable season in many ways. 2022-2023 season of On the Continent is over. It's been an absolute pleasure. As always, uh, thank you, Dotton, and thank you so much, everyone, for listening throughout the season. Uh, from the World Cup coverage via everything that happened at Juventus, all the dramas at PSG... Um, it's been brilliant journeying through all of these stories with you guys so thank you but this isn't the end it isn't the end <laughs> on the continent doesn't stop we're back next <laughs> thursday and each week throughout the off season to bring you uh, exclusive on the continent transfer episodes it's going to be a busy summer until then goodbye The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.